So after our quick break last week, we're back on track with the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And uh, this morning in this fourth uh, lesson, we're going to talk about that we are a people who love and honor one another. That's who we are as a church. And uh, I hope you've noticed that so far. I hope that's, that's been the culture so far because that's what we want to keep um, cultivating here is that we are people who love and honor one another. And uh, the truth is, is that all of us have moments in our life where we're not very lovely. But that doesn't, that's not, that's not the, the qualification for being loved. We love each other because we're a family. And the reality is, is how we behave in the body of Christ is actually of great importance to God. Because if you read through the scriptures, you're going to see over and over and over how uh, we're taught how to deal with one another, how we're taught to interact with one another, because I believe it's important to God how we treat one another in the body of Christ. And the reality is, is that when you get close to people, we kind of tend to forget how to act towards one another. And we take for granted the relationship that we have, and we have to be very aware of that. And you see this the most in families, because you'll know, especially if you have siblings, there'll be times that you just treat them like garbage. Or sometimes even your, your mom or your dad or your spouse, you begin to treat, you treat them in ways that you would never ever treat a stranger or a friend. Because you begin to take for granted the relationship that you have. You begin to take for granted the fact that they're going to love you no matter what. And that can happen in the body of Christ as well, because we teach love, we teach tolerance, and somehow we forget that uh, uh, we expect that towards us, but we forget that we're supposed to return that in favor, or we know that we're supposed to tolerate one another, so we go ahead and, and act a fool because we think we can get away with it. We get a little bit of jaded because of that. And something else that we run into in the body of Christ is that uh, we tend to hold other people to higher standards when they're in the body of Christ. Which is okay to an extent, right? Because we're supposed to be living a life that glorifies God, right? So there is some aspect to that. But the problem we run into is we tend to hold people to higher standards than we even hold ourselves to. You ever seen that? We, we get judgmental of others, but we forget that we've done the same silly things. We forget that we've gone through the same silly, silly emotions. There was a guy who wrote a book, Dwight Carlson, who wrote a book said, Why do Christians shoot their wounded? Just the title of that book is enough to, to open your eyes. We tend to, people mess up, and, and because they're a Christian, because of their body, we just kick them out on the streets instead of doing what we're called to do, and that's build them back up to restore them instead of kick them out. And the truth is, is how that we interact with one another affects how effective we are in this world. If we want to be an effective body of Christ in this world, we need to treat each other with love and with honor and with respect, and we'll be much more effective in the outside world. Because the truth is, people are watching. And they're going, why do I want to be a Christian if I'm going to join that family? You see how they treat each other? You see what, I mean, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what being a Christian is like. So the first thing I want to talk to, to uh, you guys about this morning is, is how we receive people in the body of Christ. In Matthew 10, 40-41, it says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Did you know that how you receive people impacts what you will receive from them? It impacts what they can do in your life? Let me give you a, a kind of a crazy, kind of a silly example. Say you had some, a plumbing problem, your toilet was backed up. 
and you know you got you got yourself a mess on your hand. Who who would you call? You call a plumber, right? Would anybody call the car mechanic and receive them into your house as a plumber? No, because the way you receive somebody is what you're going to receive from them. And if you want to receive somebody, if you want to receive something from somebody, you call a plumber and receive from a plumber plumbing abilities. You're not going to call a call the car mechanic and hope that a plumber is going to show up. So we receive people as what they are to receive what they can give for us. I remember when I was growing up, I lived, went to a small church. We actually were going to a school at the time, and my, my best friend's dad was the pastor. And uh, it's his fault that I'm a pastor because I saw him doing it, and I said, you know what? I told my friend, I appreciate what he's doing, but I, I, could never, I would never be a pastor. So, of course, it's his fault because he made me say that. And uh, so, <laughs> so uh, but I, I, I used to not call him pastor. I called him Brent. His name was Brent. And uh, I was a stupid, cocky teenager, and, and uh, part of that was, you know, you read the scripture, and there's, there's some scriptures that talk about that we're all equal in the body of Christ, you know, and you get that in your head, and you're like, well, I don't have to call him pastor, I'm just going to call him Brent. But the problem was, is that that's how I had decided to receive him, not as my pastor, but as just another person. And I limited his ability to speak into my life because I didn't see him as my pastor, I saw him as just somebody else. I thought I was clever, but instead I was hurting myself. So how we receive people, that's why it says here, if you receive a prophet, because he's a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. And if you, the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person. Um, another, other translations say if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, if you receive a righteous person in the name of a righteous person, you'll receive the likewise reward. But how many know that if you receive a prophet in the name of a righteous person, you're, you're only going to get the righteous person's reward. You're not going to get the reward of a prophet. And it's the same, it's when I begin to realize that how we address people, how we see people, how we, how we understand who they are and how we, we call them impacts how they can interact with us in our life. You know, it's one of those things that when you go to a church and there's always those people, I did it when I was young, it's, it's reaping what you sow, I remember, there's always people that, that don't want to refer to me as pastor. And I, it, it, it hurts me, not because... Because how many know that whether they call me pastor or not, it's going to change, not going to change the fact that I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because that's what God's called me to do, and I'm walking in my ministry. But it hurts because I know they'll never receive from me what God wants them to receive from me because they don't see me as their pastor. And the same thing goes with, with other leaders in the church. If you, if you don't receive them from where they are, you're never going to receive anything from them because we actually limit our ability to re- receive from somebody else. So that's the one thing we have to do is, is one, respect and honor the positions that God has put us in. Because God's the one that put them there. And if we want to receive anything, we have to receive in the name of what they're sent is. Amen? That all makes sense? Praise God. Next scripture we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We need to honor, have honor for our co-laborers in the Lord. And that goes, uh, two things here. One, it says, those who labor among you and those who are over you in the Lord. 
The truth is, is that we're going to be put in situations that there are people who are put placed in leadership and there are those, who, and we need to honor those in leadership because I mean, it, it's not easy to be in leadership. Some of you that are starting to step out in that are starting to see that there's a little bit more required that you may have thought of from the outside looking in. And we need to honor those people and help those people. But even more importantly, and, that, and I'm not just talking about me, and it's always awkward talking about this stuff because I feel like I'm up here and everyone's going, it sees me yelling, hey, honor me, honor me. That's not what it's about. It's about uh, working cohesively in the body of Christ. We need to be effective as a body. And that's why Christ, or why God has put leadership in place. It's so that we can be effective. If everybody were leaders, nothing would ever get done. There'd be too many cooks in the kitchen. And nothing would ever get done. But we need to honor one another, those who labor over us, but also those who labor among us. That means we need to honor one another as we work together. Because especially in a small church like this, you guys have known, there's not a person in there. I haven't asked to do something. We work together. This is not a church you come to if you just want to sit on a Sunday and leave and come back. This is a church you come to that if uh, you want to get involved and get touched and and get moving in the Lord. But that means we need to honor one another. We need to respect one another. And that goes from everything to, to looking out for one another to respecting each other's time. That's probably one of the biggest things in this church we probably need to get a handle on more than anything is respecting each other's time. And being where we say we're going to be when we're supposed to be there. And, and you know, one of the things that I'm guilty of is, is being done when we say we're supposed to be done, right? We need to respect each other's time. We need to respect each other's um, persons. Because and, and, we're, we're working together. And we need to be able to trust and rely on one another. Amen? And the reality is, is that everything that we do for one another should be out of love. The... the uh, the onus for, for treating each other like that, for respecting one another, is, is not for fear of, of rebuking. It's not for, for feeling bad. It's, it's because we love one another. When you, when you love somebody, you want to do anything for them. To, to, I mean, uh, the idea of walking as a Christian is to stop looking at ourselves and looking at others and honoring others. And then he goes on to say, Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge your brothers to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Admonishing the idol is to encourage them um, good-naturedly to, to step up and do what they need to be doing. So to encourage the idol or admonish the idol, those who are sitting around doing nothing, we need to encourage them to get involved. Fortunately, it's not an issue in this church. Everybody's involved. Encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, as we all walk, and even in this room, there's different levels of maturity. We need to encourage one another to keep growing. And when we're having struggles, when we're having a tough time, we encourage one another to keep moving and pressing on. Because the truth is, all of us are called to do something. We all have a purpose in this body. And we need help to keep moving forward. Help the weak and be patient with them all. That's the hardest one to do, patience. Especially when you're young. I remember I used to play, we used to go out and play uh, paintball with the, with the men. We'd get together at the church that I went to when I was younger and we always had a blast, but it was always old guys versus the young guys, you know, and we always thought us young guys were always going to win, but the truth is the old guys beat us every time, and it's because they knew how to be patient. They knew how to sit and wait in a tree until we got impatient and came running out, and then they would just take us all out. You know, and, and I began to learn that patience has its benefit. Patience allows you to be effective. It allows you to do many things. And same thing in the body of Christ. If we're patient with one another and we encourage one another to grow, we're going to, to grow into the men and women of God He intended us to be instead of being um, pushed out. 
If we're not patient with people, we have the opportunity to push them out. Amen? We also need to have honor in our family. It's not just in the body of Christ, but in our biological families. We need to be operating in honor and respect for one another as well. Colossians 3.18-21 through 21 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We'll tackle these one at a time. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. One, we need to understand that submitting does not mean that a husband is allowed to subject lordship over him. That doesn't mean that you are your husband's slave. If, you, if that's the idea that's been portrayed in your family and your life, then you've got it wrong. But it does mean that, that there is a leadership structure in the body of Christ and in the home. And the same thing goes there. There's a leadership structure for a purpose. It's for our families to operate effectively. It's for our, our families to grow up in the Lord and to be effective in our, our church bodies and our work and everywhere else. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And that's how we're operating as a unit. And the husbands are like, that's awesome. I like it when the pastor preaches this stuff. But the next line says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other scriptures it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I got a newsflash for you guys. Christ died for the church. See, that's why a wife should be able to submit to you is because she knows that you're willing to do anything to keep her safe, to protect her. You're willing to do even die for her. And that's how a wife can have security in submitting to you is because you are operating as Christ would in his church, as Christ did for us, that you'd be willing to give up everything to honor and to love and to protect her and to keep her safe. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is actually the first commandment with the promise in the Scriptures, that we, we obey our parents and all will go well with us. The truth is, is that, that as parents, we give instructions for our children, not for our benefit, but for their benefit. Even though it seems like we're trying to make your life rough, what we're actually trying to do is make your life better. And that's why we ask you to obey, because... You know, the, there's the silly things. Is, you know, we tell you not to play in the street. It's not because we don't think you'll have fun playing in the streets because we don't want you to get hit by a car. We do these things because we, we want you to, to, to grow up to be the men and women of God that you've been called to be. We want to see you grow long and, and live life and live life happily. And then it says, Father, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Isn't it funny how when, when the Scriptures, there's always a balance. It says, says uh wives submit to your husbands and then he deals with the, with the husbands husbands take care of your wives children listen to your parents and then he says all right now parents they're listening to you don't be an idiot about it don't overstep your bounds make sure that what you're doing is out of love to help them grow and not just to be a pain that's probably one of the biggest things that i struggle with sometimes i get tired of being asked for stuff so much i eventually just start saying no just because i'm done being asked but that's not how we're supposed to be we're not supposed to provoke our children not just to be honoring. We should, everything that we should do should be in love for our children to help them grow to the men and women of God they're supposed to be. Amen? And the truth is, is that in the body of Christ, we are one. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26 says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored all rejoice together. And then again in Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now this is completely...
complete opposite advice is what we've learned in the real world. Because in the real world, it's, it's look out for number one. Just look out for yourself. We see stuff happening, and you know, we see people get promoted, and instead of rejoicing with them, we get all upset. Or somebody, you've been trying to have a baby, and somebody else gets pregnant, and you're still getting pregnant yet, and, and instead of being rejoicing with them and being cheerful for them, you get upset because, why haven't I had mine yet? And this is the idea that it's, it's us first and not somebody else. Or what about when somebody gets hurt, they get in a car accident, or they get fired, or something happens, and you're like, I feel bad for them, but better them than me. That's the attitude that we're trained to have in this world. Matter of fact, it's getting so bad now that that's how we're being taught in schools, is how we're being taught on television. Everything that we see is, but look out for you, number one. But the reality is, is that we should rejoice when others, particularly in the body of Christ, we should rejoice when people are doing well. I mean, Monique had a baby, and, and actually I had both reactions. I'm like, awesome, that's great, better you than me. <laughs> but yeah, we rejoice with one another. We, well, when people have successes, because the Scripture says that there's no division in the body, but that we may have the same care for one another. We're actually one body. When somebody succeeds, we all succeed. Man, my notes are getting all messed up here. I keep pressing them all over the place. I'm going to have to get paper or something so I can keep on track. The reality is, is that Christ actually set the example with Lazarus. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's so, it was so eye-opening to me when, when Lazarus died, right? So Jesus is, 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 is away from the city that Lazarus is at, and they came and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is like, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait a few more days, and then I'll go see him. Which the reality is, is Jesus waited because he wanted to make sure that Lazarus was good and dead. There was going to be no confusion. There was going to be no doubt that God was about to move. So he waited a few days. And then when he gets there, he's standing in front of the tomb, and, and it says that the shortest verse in the, in the Bible says Jesus wept. And I love that because you look at that and you're like, Jesus is crying over Lazarus. I don't believe Jesus was crying over Lazarus. Jesus didn't have an aha moment right after that verse and go, Wait, I know, I'll bring him back to life. That was the plan all along. Jesus knew that Lazarus wasn't dead. But he still wept. Why would he still weep? Because the people around him were weeping. He felt their pain. He was weeping with them. Because he knew they were hurting. And he knew that the end result was going to be amazing. And, and we know the story, right? He, he moves the tomb and he calls Lazarus out of the tomb and he, and he rises again. But he, he, he wept because he was weeping when he felt their pain. And the same goes for us when somebody is hurting. We should come alongside them. Matter of fact, we should probably, more than anything, just come alongside them and hug them and love them and cry with them. And men, we have a hard time with that because we want to come alongside people and fix stuff. One of the hardest parts I had with when, when Blake was a baby is, is he would start crying. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to fix. and I, There was nothing I could fix. I didn't know how to fix. And I, that was hard for me. But as men, we tend to do that a lot. We want to fix everything. We just need to come alongside people and just cry with them. We had a young man at the, at the Tucson church, and he was driving with, with uh, one of the other uh, the couple's daughters, and they were going to get married, I believe, but they were driving, and there was a car accident, and the daughter died. And he came in, and, and uh, my pastor said to me, Pastor Mike, I said, what do I do when he comes in? He says, just hug him. Said, what do I say? He says, don't say anything. Just hug him. And I'm just dumb enough to do what I'm told. So when he walked in, I hugged him. And I must have hugged him for 10 minutes. 
and just let him cry on my shoulder. I didn't say a word. What was I going to say anyway? How do you, what do you say to that? And the funny thing is, is we actually, there was a, uh, for, for quite a while, we had a pretty strong relationship. I spent time with him, and it's because I didn't say a thing, because I didn't try to fix anything. I just wept with him. Jeremiah Bowser, whom I hope to have in here one of these days, he's an uh, incredibly talented worship artist, told me a story once when he was in Uganda. And they were, I, it's been so long, I don't remember the whole story. But I remember that they were, they were down there, they were staying in this, this village or this camp, and all the, the ladies were taking care of all these missionaries that were down there. And uh, throughout the course of the thing, they were, they were helping the, the, those who were poor there, they were reaching out from there, just being a huge blessing to this community. And towards the end, they realized that there were all these ladies that were taking care of the missionaries or the people that were doing the work there, and uh, they decided they were going to bless them. And they gave everybody, every woman that was there, they gave them some money and food and, and, and whatever they did, they provided for them. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that there was just, he says, I, I remember there was just an explosion of joy and all the ladies were just, you know, they were yelling and they were singing, they were screaming. It was just joy across this whole little, little camp there. And he said it was such an amazing thing. But then the next day they realized that there was one of the ladies that had been there the whole time. She wasn't there, so she didn't get, uh, didn't get to partake in that. But they recognized it. So the, the next night, they took care of it. So they just gave the, the one lady the provision that night, and he said the whole place erupted exactly the same way. Every lady in that place was just as excited for this one also receiving it. And that's the way we should be as well. We should, when one person receives something, we should rejoice with them. When they, when they cry, we cry with them. And the reality is, is that in the body of Christ, because we are one, there's no division that success for one is success for the other. You know, if you think about it as your, your natural body, which is used as, as when you lose weight, your heart gets stronger, right? But your legs don't got to carry around as much weight either. And, I, you know, I remember when I was uh, quite a bit bigger, I, lost, I, could, I could tie my shoe again. You know, I wasn't having to get in the belly out of the way so I could get to my shoe. Everything got better. Everybody benefited. I was losing weight. And the same is true in the body of Christ. When we rejoice, when something happens good for people, we all benefit as a body. And the same thing, when, when one part of the body hurts, the, the rest of the body hurts as well. You know, and when one part of the body is suffering and not working as well, the, the rest can suffer as well. If, if, you, if you can't see, there's a good chance you're going to stub your toe. A different part of your body is going to be hurt because one part's not working. But I've spent way too long here, so let's go. Because of who he is, there's three reasons why that we need to honor one another. And the first reason is because of who he is. Colossians 3, 12 through 16, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against one another, forgiving each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalm and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Once again, we get that layout of how we're supposed to treat one another. We bear with one another. And if we have a complaint, we forgive one another. And we put on love which binds us together, and we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And it says when we do that, we, we let Christ dwell in us richly to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with thankfulness and hearts to our God. So the reason we do this is, one, 
because of who Christ is. Because of what He's done for He forgave us, so we forgive others. And it's His Spirit that lives inside of us, and that's how we treat others. We let Him flow through us. Man, did I skip a whole, I skipped a whole verse. Man, that's all right. We're going to go, we're going to go back. I'll do it quickly through it. In John 1, 13 through 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And also you, uh, you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. I was almost going to skip this one. This is a good one. I'm glad I went back. This is good stuff here. John 15, 12 through 13, it says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. We are commanded to love one another. And he says, I, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. That's how people will know that we are because we love one another. It should be evident in everything that we do. When people look at us, they should see his love in us. Did you know that when Jesus said, go out into all the world, he didn't say go out into all the world and witness. He said go out into all the world and be a witness. He didn't say go out into all the world and, and run your mouth. He said go out into all the world and just be by how you live your life. People should see Christ's love on you. They should, as a matter of fact, when people walk behind you, they should be like, I'm getting love all over myself. I just stepped in a puddle of love. Joanna must have just been here. I just stepped in a puddle of love. I mean, we should, love should be just oozing off of us. And people should be able to see it in everything that we do. And it's not an option. This isn't something like, I'm a Christian, so I should probably do this. It doesn't say, it, doesn't say, it says that this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And not only is, are we commanded to love, but we're told how much we're to love. How much did Christ love us? He died for us. He gave his life for us. And he didn't just give his life for, for, the, for the good among us. He didn't just give his life for those who were lovely, but he gave his life for people that he knew that would never accept him. That means that we should love people that are going to be, not only that, that, that are going to come to know him, that are good to us, our family, but we should love people that are going to hate us. We should love people that are going to come against us. We should love people that are trying to harm us. We love them anyway, and it's not an option. Christian, it is not an option. You are commanded to do this. Now we're back here because of who he is. Why are we commanded to do this? Because this is who he is. He laid down his life for us. He forgave, so we should forgive. And part of that is is admonishing one another. You see this word quite a bit, admonish. I had to look it up because I know what it means by how it's used. You ever seen a word you know how it is? by how it's used, but you know what it really means? And I, I looked this one up, and to, to admonish one another is to caution, advise, or counsel against something, to reprove or scold, especially in a mild or goodwood manner, or to urge to a duty, or to remind. Admonishing is about uh, pushing somebody to where they're supposed to go. It's not about making them feel bad or guilty or harming them. It's about encouraging to be who, who they're supposed to be. When we admonish one another in all wisdom, that means that we're helping each other grow. It's done in an encouraging manner. We're not to make each other feel bad or guilty. We're not to shoot our wounded, right? We're supposed to build them back up to restore them and speak the truth in love. Amen? 
And speaking the truth in love is not telling them what they're doing wrong, but instead telling them who they are in Christ. When someone falls, we don't tell them that the falling was wrong. We help them get back up and remind them that, no, you are victorious. No, you are strong. The stuff that you're dealing with, it doesn't have any control over you. We're not to point out the failures, but to point out Christ's success. Amen? That's speaking the truth in love. We also need to do this because of who we, uh, because who we are. So one, we, we treat people with love and honor because of who He is. We also treat people with love and honor because of who we are. Colossians 3, 8 through, 10, 8 through 10. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. This stuff up here, the old self, the, the anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, that's how the world acts. That's who you used to be. So we treat people in love because we're not this anymore. But we have put on our new self. That's why we treat people with love and honor and respect because we've been changed on the inside. And the reality is, is this stuff just gets worse as it goes along. Anger is bad, but then it goes to wrath, which is an intense anger. Then malice is an intense anger with an intent to harm, and slander is actually harming. And obscene talks when you begin to talk people down. You begin to do all kinds of things. It says, don't lie to one another. You know that lying is one of the most damaging things that you can, you can do to a relationship? It destroys trust. It breaks down. And not only that, and something that, that I'm beginning to see more and more is lying does not only harm the relationship, but actually harms the person that's doing it. It begins to eat up at them and tear up at their soul. And the truth is, is that Satan is the father of lies. It has no place in the mouth of a believer. Amen. This is not who we are. This is the old self. Instead, let's put on the new self. And I want you to know that the new self loves, the new self respects, the new self honors one another. Next, we want to honor people. First was because of who he is. Second is because of who we are. And third is because of who they are. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. When we see people, we need to see Jesus. We need to see that they've been bought with a price, that they've been remade, they've been brand new, they're not who they used to be. And that should, that should, should influence every decision, every action when we see other people because they're not who they used to be. They are Jesus inside of them. See, the funny thing is, is we tend to, uh, as people, evaluate ourselves at our best moments. But we tend to evaluate others at their worst. Life would be so much easier if we'd evaluate other people the same way we evaluate ourselves. And we need to remember that when we're dealing with others, particularly young Christians, as they're, they're walking through things, as they're getting through things, we need to remember that we weren't always the, the perfect model of spiritual maturity. I mean, you may, you may be doing good now, but there was a time you were messed up. There was a time where you had some rough spots. You probably still have some rough spots. We love you anyway, and we're going to keep on loving you. The truth is, is a person's value has nothing to do with their actions. Who, what you are worth, your value to, to the body of Christ, your value to one another, is, has nothing to do with your achievements, your accomplishments, the things that you've done, whether they be good or bad. You know how you determine the value of something? It's what somebody is willing to pay for it. That's simple economics. If somebody is willing to pay something for it, that's how much it's worth. 
There was a guy who uh, uh, just recently, as a photographer, he just sold one of his photographs for um, something like $6 million or something like that. He sold a photograph that he took. And, and there's people that are just throwing a fit. One, there's a lot of people that don't believe uh, photographers are real artists. You know, they're not painting or drawing or whatever. But people are throwing a fit that, you know, his, his photograph's not worth that much. And I'm like, no, someone paid that much for it. They were willing to shell it out. That's how much it was worth, whatever they were willing to pay for it. Whether you think he's an artist, whether he, that's what he was paid for. It. Same way with your house. Did you know that there are times that your house might be worth less than what it actually costs for the materials to build it? Fortunately, we're starting to work our way out of that right now. But, yeah, your, your house is, is, is valued based on what somebody paid for the house down the street. I'm really excited because there's another house on the market right now that is uh, very similar to ours. Michelle was just telling me they put it on the market for 250000 I hope that's what they sell it for because that means my house price is going to go up. Because right now, old Zillow says mine's not there. They, they, I keep getting emails. Your house has just dropped by another $500. Because what I need is it to get to about two fifty, and then I can call the bank and say, hey, come appraise my house and get rid of my mortgage insurance. Yeah, stuff is valued by what it's, somebody is willing to pay for it. So that means your value is worth the life of Jesus Christ. That means that you are, you are infinitely valuable. And it has nothing to do with what you did, what you're going to do, what you have done. If you stumble, if you never stumble, your value is based on what was, was paid for you. And that's how we should see one another. We don't see the failures or even the successes except for the success in Jesus Christ. Amen? We also need to be a people who forgive and restore. One of those part of honoring and love one another is that we forgive and we restore people back to where they were, particularly if they fall. Luke 17, 3-4, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are supposed to forgive one another and restore one another. We'll start with the first one and unpack that. It says, brother, if, you're, if your brother sins, rebuke him. When he says pay attention to yourselves, basically, make sure you're not doing the same old stuff either, you know. The whole... Uh, uh, you know, twig in somebody else's eye, log in your own thing. Pay attention to yourself. Make sure that you're living the way that God called you to live. And then he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If somebody sins, hey, let them know. But if they repent, forgive them. What if they did something really, really bad? If they repent, forgive them. What if they just go and do it again? Well, if they come back and ask for forgiveness again, if they repent, forgive them again. How many times do I do that? Till they stop asking for repentance. And that's hard because the first time is easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier. <laughs> the first because they do something. And you're like, man, this is ridiculous. But you forgive them because they, they, you see it. You know, they come in and they may be weeping or they're crying and they realize they messed up and they ask for your forgiveness. And you say, all right, I forgive you. And then a week later, they do the same thing over again. And then you're getting a little irritated. Don't look at me like that. I'm not the only person that gets irritated when people do the same stuff over and over and over again. But it doesn't matter. We're still supposed to forgive them if they come back in repentance. Now, the scripture doesn't say we should forgive them if they don't come back in repentance, but I say you should. Because forgiveness 
in non-forgiveness, unforgiveness in your heart, at least in this scripture doesn't say it, but unforgiveness in your heart will tear you up just as much as anybody else. And the reality is, is, is if we're not willing to forgive somebody else, it's because we don't have a clear grasp on what we've already been forgiven of in Christ. We forgive as he forgave. That's just the way it is. What it doesn't mean is that, that we, don't, uh, we put ourselves in a position to be hurt or a position to be taken advantage of, a position to be abused. There's been plenty of, it doesn't mean that things don't change. You know, if somebody does something, and, and uh, particularly if it's happening again, let's look at one of the, the most terrible things is an abused or a battered wife. I believe wholeheartedly an abused wife should forgive her husband. Actually, regardless of whether they ask for it or not, that's important for their healing and moving on. But even if the husband comes back and says, forgive me, I repent, she should forgive him, but it doesn't mean she should let him move back in the house. It doesn't mean she should put herself in a position. Things have to change. There has to be course correction. Forgiving doesn't mean that what happened to you isn't important. It doesn't mean that it's devalued. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean any of those things. But if you want to heal, if you want to move on, and in the body of Christ, we have to forgive each other. And we have to begin restoring one another. And things may have to change. There may be a, a period where trust is restored. There may be a period where, where things are, are going to move on. But the, the goal, the end goal, always is to restore them back to where they were before. And you, I've heard so many stories of, of husband and wives, even people in the ministry who have, have made massive mistakes and, and fallen from grace severely. But over time, and it takes time, they, they, they repented and they came back and they were restored not only to a position uh, of, of respect again or whatever, but also back into ministry after they had messed up in ways that, you know, there's qualifications from ministry that you can remove you from it. But you can be restored back into that. And I've seen marriages restored, but it takes time and it takes forgiveness. And that's what we're called to do for one another. It says we should restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. And that's hard. I know it is. We also need to make sure that, that uh, if we know that somebody has something against us, we deal with that as well. Matthew five twenty three through 24 so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. That means it is our responsibility that we are in good standing with others. If you know that somebody has something against you, deal with it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it just be off in the back burner. Go deal with it. At least as far as it concerns you, the Scripture says be at peace with all men. Now, there comes a point if you go and try to deal with it and they won't have nothing to do with you, you've, you've done your due diligence. But the reality is, is that we should be making sure that we're good with all people. Amen? And Ian, that doesn't say if you realize you have something against someone. It says if you realize they have something against you, you go and deal with it. Amen? First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. In Galatians 6.9-10, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. We need to always, and I, I think this is something that we should go out of our way and actually make an effort, a point, to encourage one another and to build one another. You should have everybody in this room's phone number, and you should just call them every now and then and say, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. Can I pray with you for anything? 
Can I lift you? I mean, that's something we should go out of our way to do is to build one another up. Because actually, if you don't go out of your way to do it, all of a sudden it'll be four weeks and you haven't done it at all. Because it'll just slip by. But we're to build one another up. And it says, don't grow weary of doing good. That means that it can be tiresome. He wouldn't tell us not to grow weary if there wasn't an opportunity for us to grow weary. Sometimes it can be, you're like, I don't want to call him again. I just talked to him yesterday. But sometimes we call and we just love one another. And it says that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That means church and outside of church, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should be doing everything we can to honor and lift each other up. And we'll go ahead and and stop here because I'm I'm getting the evil eye from Cliff back there. So... uh, (laughs) First Peter, he's back there clapping. First Peter 4, 8 through 9. says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since, lover, lovers, since love covers a multitude of sins. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, Peter now is preaching the same thing that Paul has been preaching. This wasn't unique to Paul. This is unique to the body of Christ. We love one another. probably is unique to the Christian religion to love one another regardless. And it says, keep loving one another earnestly. Other translations say, keep loving one another fervently. That means with passion, without giving up. Don't stop. And he says, the reason we do this is because love covers a multitude of sins. And many of you guys have heard me preach on this before, and those of you who haven't, this is one that used to confuse me so much when I was younger. I would read this, and I'm like, what do you mean since love covers a multitude of sins? I thought Jesus paid for all the sins. I don't, I don't get this. And I began to realize this isn't talking about our relationship with God. This is talking about our relationship with one another. If we will love each other, you know what? If you just love people no matter what, you realize that it's a lot easier to forgive them even when they mess up against you, even when they sin against you. All those things, if we'll just love one another, that'll cover all of that stuff. Because the truth is that we are going to offend one another. We are going to step on each other's toes. We are going to do stuff to upset one another. It's just going to happen. We're a family. How many of you lived in a family where everything was perfect all the time? I never lived in one like that. <laughs> Me too. Starts with you. So, <laughs> But uh, we're a family. We're going to upset each other. I'm going to upset you at some point. I'm going to, the pastor's going to, more than likely, I'm not going to do it intentionally, but it'll probably happen. I talk too fast sometimes, and I can be sarcastic, and it just might happen. And I ask for your forgiveness ahead of time. But the reality is, is, is what do we do with it? When we, when, we, when we butt heads, when we live like a family, what do we do with it? We love one another. We forgive one another. We build each other up. And if we will do that, we will stay strong as a body, and we'll be effective in the kingdom of heaven. We'll be effective in this city. And when people come in, they're going to see that love we have one another, and they're going to want to come and be a part of this family. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to your feet.